Nili. Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for being here, first of all. Thank you very much. You just arrived from the US. Yeah, I landed like uh, two days ago. <laughs> it wasn't in your plans to be back so soon. It wasn't, no. So tell me what happened. Now we can talk about it because I'm very interested. Um, it sounds complex. It sounds intense. On the surface, you look you look great. I wouldn't think that you're injured, um, but you are injured at the moment. Yeah. Um, so, by the way, that's one component that like when you say, oh, I'm injured, I can't, you know, train or compete or whatever. And like you said, on the outside, you know, oh, you look fine. Like, what are you talking about? So you can get many comments like that. But. Um, it was uh, a brain injury. So what happened was uh, during the training, um, I it was towards the end of the training. I was like on the mat. And um, by the way, whoever doesn't know, uh, I'm a martial artist um, right now. Making, yeah, and we'll get into oh, you do, right. Let's Let's start with that. Um, what is it? What do you do? So I'm a six-time world champion in Muay Thai and in kickboxing. Uh, four-time European champion in Muay Thai. And right now, that's 17 years of uh, experience under my belt, and I'm making a transition into MMA. Um, supposed to fight December, actually even no mid-November. Um, so as you said, I had uh, an injury. and So for those, uh, sorry that I'll, I'll slow yeah. myself down and you down, uh, but for those who don't know, what is Muay Thai? Muay Thai is, uh, is a martial art. It comes from Thailand. Uh, it's an ancient um, martial art that basically they use they use their eight limbs, right? You use your your fists, your elbows, knees, kicks, um, and also sweeps like clinch. So one of the most uh, intense, deadliest, intense, deadliest, deadliest. deadliest okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. You don't want to make it sound like uh, <laughs> we murder people here. Um, so yeah, it's, but as close as close to it in a in a regulated environment. Yes, correct. Um, so it comes from from uh, the ancient uh, history of Thailand, where they have to basically protect their king, right? And they're on the king is on an elephant, and all the soldiers on the bottom have to protect them using their eight limbs. So it's also called the um, the the art of eight limbs. Um, so it, it it comes from Thailand, and there's a lot of history behind it. So, and now you're transitioning to uh, so MMA. Transitioning into MMA, uh, you know, learning all the groundwork and wrestling and defense and offense, um, the tactics, understanding, you know, what's going to work for my striking that I've been um, uh, working on for the past 17 years, how to change. I'm, I'm really, you know, um, f um, tra tra um, transferring my striking into MMA because uh, a pure Muay Thai uh, fighter can't just walk into the ring like that uh, into an MMA fight because we'll be taken down, you know, and be smuggled on the bo uh, on the floor. So I'm really learning that game. And it's so are there many things sir, that you need to yourself relearn? Um, almost like putting the white belt on again. One hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm relearning and I'm changing things up, um, using things that for my benefit as well. From from striking from Muay Thai, um, and it's going to be beautiful once I really get into the cage. Fantastic! And you found yourself um, at training at American Top Team. Yes, right now I'm training at American Top Team in Coconut Creek, Florida. And it's a fame. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a pretty well-known establishment. Yes, it's one of the biggest well-known um, gyms in the states and in MMA. You know, you have Jorge Masvidal coming out of there, Dustin Poirier, just training there right now. He's 
competing, you know, this weekend. Yeah, all um, UFC guys. In UFC, correct. You have many one championship fighters there. Um, you have, um, you know, Amanda Nunes, uh, Joanna. So there's many fighters that came out of there or that came to there to train. And so, you know, so I'm, is I'm it there. is it selected like specifically you wanted to train there because of its um, because of the uh, notorious the, name for it? Yes. Um, so I was actually referred there by G Gabriel Kitobe. He's the trainer here. He's a Brazilian. He trains the the judo team, the Olympic judo team for um, you know for groundwork. Yep. Um, so he told me and Benny, my coach, he said, you know, if you guys are making that transition, you have to go to American Top Team. All of his friends, his trainer friends are there. He knows almost everyone there and everyone knows him. So that's what, one of the reasons we went there. Phenomenal. And so did the injury come training at American Top Team? Yeah. So what happened about uh, three weeks ago, I think almost a month, no, a month ago, exactly. I'm on the floor, you know, um, training. And um, I kind of get up off the mat and I really feel this dizziness. And suddenly um, this blind spot also on my left eye, meaning my peripheral vision on my left eye was out. It was blind. And I'm like kind of asking my, my, my partner, like, where are you? I can't see you. I even have it like on video. <laughs> where are you? And she's like, what do you mean? And she's like, I can't see you on the left. I was like, you know, I'm looking at you and I see, uh, looking at one eye, I see both. But when I'm looking with this eye, I don't really see it. And so um, that was like for 40 minutes to an hour. Uh, and like only about four days later, later did I get to like a doctor and, you know, started really figuring things out. Apparently after doing, you know, MRIs, MRAs, uh, going to neurologists, which wasn't easy in the States to get to these doctors. Um, also because of insurance and just the knowledge of who am I going to, what am, what's going on. It's a new country, you know, it's a new culture. I don't under, I don't know. Yeah. Um, even though I'm American, I didn't grow up there. So I don't know how the system works. So I get to the right doctor. I got to Dr. Howard Gelb. It's a doctor um, orthopedic who many of the fighters at ATT work with. Uh, and he referred me to different neurologists, different doctors. Um, so I got to the doctors that I needed to. I do the MRIs, MRAs. And apparently what happened at that moment when I felt this, this blindness, it was a stroke. One of, we have two main arteries in the back of our neck, and one of them kind of was clotted from an injury. You know, I'm 27 years, years old. I don't just get a stroke out of nowhere. It was obviously an injury. You know, the head is always being manipulated. Um, so it's clotted, and that clot doesn't send any blood or oxygen to the brain, and that's what caused the blindness. But after an hour it kind of, you know, goes to blurriness and comes back, that means that my brain recovered. But again, there's still, it's, it shows in the cerebellum of the brain, it shows that there was a stroke there and that the artery right now is clotted. And so I'm taking aspirin, I'm taking uh, another, um, I don't remember what it's called, pretty it's stronger than aspirin um, to, uh, to thin out the blood. Um, and, you know, now I'm here back at home, back in Israel to really kind of understand in a deeper level, what is going on? Yeah. Um, so and to currently, training-wise, you're you're frozen. You're staying out of um, it for now. Exactly. Um, you know, I don't want to do like sprints where my heartbeat and my blood pressure is kind of going bouncing up and down. Um, just you know to take precaution right now, and till I get to the doctor next week, see again what's what do I do from here? What can I do? What I can't do? 
And once I get the okay and the approval from the doctor that it's okay to go back to training, I will. In terms of how you physically feel, though, right now, do you feel like you could jump in a fight or jump in a training session? I feel I could, you know, train. Sometimes I, I get like a whoosh of like a headache. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, from the plane that I just uh, yeah. arrived a few days ago. But, but is that normal as well for you uh, because of your profession to to um, experience different types of headaches, different aches that on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, aches are always there. Uh, no matter what it is, it could be your finger, it could be your shoulder, your knee, whatever it is. There's always something lingering uh, just because I'm an athlete and just because it's the type of the sport as well. It's combat sport. You're always getting punched in the face. You're always getting kicked to the uh, to the ribs. You know, I also had a rib injury just a, a while ago and recovered from that. And then it went to my brain. <laughs> so how do you uh, how do you deal with uh, these injuries um, in t- psychologically bouncing back? Because even now, I'm assuming that you've dedicated so much time and effort and sweat and blood in your case to um, to get to where you are. And then you're just put on hold based on an injury. In this case, a pretty scary injury, no? It was very scary. Thinking back at it, yes. At that moment, it was just like, you know, unfortunately, that's how I work. Like my my head just like, I just kind of like brush it off. Oh, I'll be okay. You know, I got back one hour later, I got back into the car, drove home and I came home to the family and telling them what's going on. And then like, it sounds worse on the phone <laughs> than it does in person. Um, but now looking back at it and understanding retrospect what it was, it was scary. Like I could have stayed blind if my if I didn't recover. Um, and and so. do you know the specific movement moment in the session that must have caused it or could I, have caused I, it? First of all, I have it on my phone because I was able to get it off the record there from the, the cameras, surveillance cameras. Um, and I remember exactly when it was, you know, I, we were doing like towards the end of the session. It was grappling, but it was very like light, um, very technical. But towards the end, it was kind of like a bit more intense. She takes down, I take down, from take down to submission. But it wasn't submission, you know, to kill, but submission just to like get into the position and okay, now your turn. Um, give and take. And I take down, she reverses it, and she goes into um, uh, back control, into uh, rear naked uh, choke. And, you know, I tap. And then that's when I like kind of feel this headache, get up dizziness and the the blindness so I know exactly when it was but to tell you the amount of pressure she put on and it was from that exact I don't know I don't know I don't know if it was you know a build-up to it in addition to what they discovered I also have bulging discs in my neck and I asked the doctor is it is it is that recent he says yeah from looking at the MRIs it's recent it's from between 30 days to 45 days the past month so in BJJ, your neck is always being cranked. And and so I guess it's from something from that. And I was having, before that stroke happened, I was having neck pain and, and, and shoulder issues from a buildup. So it could be that it was from that, you know, that some sort of buildup and just that that small little crank that finished the job. I don't know. Why the transition to MMA from Muay Thai? Um, I've been kind of... It's been in my mind for a while, I think ever since Ronda Rousey's years uh, back in 2014. That was the beginning of my 
my upcoming in Muay Thai. And, you know, I'm multiple time world champion, European champion, uh, Valentina Shevchenko. I fought her back in 2015 and then she kind of left. So I became, you know, the superstar uh, in Muay Thai. And I think I got to that pinnacle point in Muay Thai. And I wanted something a bit more challenging. Um, also, there was like a political story inside the federation where my coach was banned from being in my corner, uh, being part of the federation. So like that was also another push into like, okay, let's let's do this. Do you feel like um, it was calling your name to make that transition and a new challenge? Because it sounds like a tremendous challenge uh, going from a sport where, as you One said, discipline. you are at the pinnacle of it, world champion several times to putting on that white belt. Correct. Like you said, it's coming with this big baggage of name, right? All this, uh, all these achievements and then coming to something where like, okay, you're nothing. You're no one now. But because of that, I think it's an extra boost of like that, that motivation and that drive to like, you know, I, I want to achieve another thing. Um, and let's see if what I've learned and, and I achieved throughout all my, my entire life, it'll work somewhere else as well. Uh, I believe it will. I believe I have the ability with my, my, um, uh, the staff around me, you know, all the coaches and everyone that taught me up until now, I believe we have the, 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 the secret or the, the, the key to, to open up that door and, and to really do it. So injuries is a part of what you do, uh, whether Muay Thai and or... Sorry, yeah, I just please. want to add to the other question is that this is my life. This is all, you know, I, I studied psychology as well. I finished a, at IDC um, a BA in psychology. But this is my life. This is what gives me that that satisfaction and that the adrenaline, the dopamine rush, you know, that when you're in the ring... And, and nothing else feels like that. So why not try it somewhere else? Why not Why not just, you know, just keep doing it as long as I'm, I'm there, well, as long as my mind is there, my body doesn't give way. How do you stop your body or mitigate your body from giving away or giving away, getting injured? Uh, because this is obviously something that you cannot do forever. You cannot do for a long time in comparison to most careers out there. Uh, so what do you do on a daily basis to try and mitigate that? Going to physical therapy, um, listening to the body when you have to take a step back. You know, it's not always pushing forward through, you know, pushing through the pain, pushing through the pain. I used to do that. That used to be the mentality. But as time goes on, as you learn more about um, anatomy and physiology and how the sports science works and you you know, you discover more about your body as well, what you could, what you can't, what hurts, what doesn't, you learn to say, hey, I need a break right now. Or, hey, I need to change something up. Um, and that's how you're going to, you know, try, you're going to try to uh, avoid injury. It's not always going to happen. It's not always going to go your way. But you're going to have to go with the the thought that you did everything you could and possibly thought that was good for you. Are most of your injuries impact related? Um, pretty much, I would say, yeah. And 
So obviously, you that's not something you can um, um, prevent by maybe, or maybe you can, um, thinking about it again, um, making yourself stronger, making yourself more um, durable, making yourself, like, preparing your body for the impact that it's about to get because you do have some level of expectation of what your body is going to go through, whether it's a training session, whether it is a a fight. Right. But when you say most injuries are coming from impact, that's right. It could be either a broken nose that you got, uh, an elbow or a punch or something like that, um, or a knee to the um, pelvic area, the iliopsoas. That was many years ago. For instance, my knee, it wasn't necessarily a kick that, that popped it out. It was... Uh, um, a, um, an angle that just wasn't good for my knee. Um, so like you said, making yourself more durable, understanding also the angles, what could happen if you're in a certain angle or not to your body. Um, and I think that is also something that needs to be done in different gyms is teaching about injuries, injury prevention, uh, understanding how to um, strengthen yourself in different areas in order to prevent injuries it's not just not just going to um um a physical therapy and okay you know do what you need to do or fix me like have the education when you have the education for it you're going to be much you're a much better athlete have you seeked or also teaching them what you could be doing to injure someone else you know you shouldn't be in the gym if you're not able to Hold yourself from strength-wise as well. Or, you know, teaching teaching people how to prevent injuries amongst others. I think that's most important, actually. And that comes from the gym side? Yes. From the trainers? Yes. Have you seeked advice, therapy from specific therapists that maybe would seem unconventional to some? Um, or maybe not as normal, I'm saying with, um, in quotes, normal physical therapist that you're used to seeing? Have you been in a, in a place where a specific scope of practice was not able to fix your problem, your issue, and you were looking for alternatives? What do you mean? For example, if you are suffering from a knee injury, and your physical therapist, you've been seeing that person over and over again, but the injury is just not going away. Have you been in that situation where you had to look elsewhere for maybe another scope of practice um, or maybe someone who does some alternative treatments or different types of treatments that are maybe not as written in the book? I think like where I've been going uh, for physical therapy in general, just if something doesn't work, okay, we change it up. We try different things. Um, for me, I always kind of open my eye to other areas, other practitioners, um, and trying to, trying to understand what that could give me. Why are they doing that like that? Um, and if it's something that interests me, maybe I'll go to him or her. Uh, but if it's something that looks a bit, like you said, unconventional, but like, it's also, it's not for me. Like I could see it. I don't, I don't get into it. Have you been open, though, to trying new methods? For sure, definitely I've tried. Um, I think one thing I, um, that I was open to many years ago was uh, Idopotal. 
the Adopo uh, Tell method. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Where he started, let's say, working with Conor McGregor. By the way, I started going to his classes before that. Um, but you know, people can look at it and be like, "It looks weird," or "How is that going to really help me or others?" And I was just open to trying, you know, trying something new and implementing it into something that I do. Is that something you still practice? Yeah. Not saying like, okay, now I'm doing X, Y, Z, that it's idopotel, but just things that I've learned over the years to utilize. And add to your, to your ingredients. Yeah, yeah, my daily... Uh, Grind. <laughs> Daily grind. So what, what in your day-to-day, -day, um, in terms of um, body maintenance, what are some things that are crucial to you that you repeat every day and that's part of your discipline in addition to your trainings that you do for your specific profession? Uh, morning walks, <laughs> getting that blood flow going, you know. It's probably um, something that most underestimate yes. its importance. Yes. Beyond the physical moving, it's getting that sunlight right in the morning. Um, that's super important also from a uh, hormones uh, perspective. Um, release the right hormones for the same hours. And also uh, research shows, at least this is what I, uh, I read, that it helps you regulate your melatonin uh, towards the evening. So you're almost setting yourself up for a uh, a good day ahead. A good day ahead for a good night's sleep. So, uh, <laughs> but what, what do you do on those morning walks? What is a normal walk for you? It yeah. could be walking the dog. It, should, it could be just, you know, just... Music, uh, podcasts. Uh, sometimes, yes. Sometimes I leave my phone at home and just walk and, and observe. Sometimes just contemplate over thoughts. Um, Even if you yeah. train in the mornings? Then you you're still. If I'm training in the morning, I wake up a bit earlier and I so go out. So you still on that make walk. sure you get that uh, yeah. morning w uh, walk. Okay, so besides the walk, so say, once have, you finish the walk, what do you? So move we on have to? that. There's also, um, uh, um, I guess, flexibility and. Uh, um, oh my gosh, I can't think about the range point. of motion. Range of motion, yeah. Um, using the foam roller, um, certain. Um, knee stability slash strength exercises that you know if i didn't i don't go to uh, a strength and conditioning class that same day or day before and i feel like maybe i'm having some pain i need to get that that moving so I do some you know either um, two legs or single leg uh, movements that help me just to activate those muscles you know between the quads and the um uh, uh um Hamstring and also um, the the tear they call it the tear muscle I forgot the um, the actual name. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, we can move on in the leg. In the leg? No, no, yeah. no it's uh, oh my gosh, I can't I can't remember. Um, I can't remember. We're blanking. Yeah, me too. I'm trying also my best here, just not making sounds. <laughs> um, but so getting that range of motion moving making the blood flow um, first thing in the morning as soon as possible, um, and then you go train. So yes. you make sure you do all those things before you train. Yes. Uh, Post-training, what is your routine? Um, some stretches, also foam roller. Um, really depends also what you did uh, during the training. If it was super hard or super light, you know, if it's super light, then, you know, there's nothing much to do. If it's a bit harder, then you're going to give that extra 15 minutes of kind of relax and bring 
bring the tempo down. Days off? Um, so when I'm in Israel, it's usually Saturdays on the Shabbat. If when, when I was in the States, it's Sundays. <laughs> so at least one day will you take off completely? There's at least one day, yes. Do you still go on your walk, do the range of motion exercises on yes. those days? Yes. So your body's moving every day? Yeah. So that day off is really more of a mental? Yeah. No, I mean, no, that's not true. It's physical as well. In the States, at least, at ATT, every time you step on that mat, you have to know you're giving it your all and that you're you're going to be at high intensity training. If you feel like your body can't give, you can't perform at that same day, don't step on the mat. Because usually, at least here in Israel, okay, you f I don't feel like the body's very fresh. So Benny, my coach, he, he kind of uh, mitigates it or he takes down the tempo a bit, right? He kind of changes things up there. There's a set schedule. If you can't make it physically, you don't feel you're there, you can't perform, don't step on the mat. Don't so injure the, yourself. There's a standard that you have to maintain when you're there as well. Yes. Have you been in a position where you thought to yourself, okay, I'm not going to step on the mat today? Yes. There, I, I remember, you know, it was an, an example on Friday. I went to physical therapy in the morning. And um, I just felt that, that, that drowsiness, that, that the body's just kind of like down there. Like it was grappling the same day. I was like, I'm not going from, from, uh, from physical therapy. Like I went home and just, you know, did something else. Um, I just felt like it wasn't worth that extra little push, you know, throughout the whole week. It was, it was pretty intense. There was no reason to, to bring my body to that exertion. And the next day you're going to be sparring with small gloves, you know, let the body rest, come back this next day. And push yourself. So you're saying that um, as if it's a given, and it's, it sounds like a very uh, mature and smart approach. Is it that easy though? When it's not easy. It's an ethical dilemma in your brain. I'm very assuming. much, yes. And sometimes that's where the coach steps in, and that's why you need a coach. But then you know, I stepped into my coach's shoes. I asked myself, what would Benny tell me? I'm feeling this right now. What would he tell me? Not to go. I'm not going. So Nilly five years ago, 10 years ago, would take the same approach? Or? Maybe five years ago, yes. 10 years ago, no. No way. <laughs> no way. No way. So what do you think changed? Experience. Injuries. Do you think that injuries also taught you about your body? 100%. 100%. I say like, I could be a physical therapist, you know, without going to school. <laughs> I think many athletes can be. Yeah, you learn a lot. So do you do you go to a physical therapist uh, routinely, even if you're not suffering from a specific injury? Yeah, for the past like 15 years, maybe a little less. Yes, I've been going to physical therapist routinely, even if something is not really hurting, but like maybe trying to like, so it doesn't get to a, uh, a place where it's going to really hurt or it could be something else or always... Um, to to avoid uh, injury prevention. Injury, injury a, prevention, yeah. Um, but when you, how many times a week, for example, would you go? It really depends where I am physically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would be once a week at uh, at least minimum. But you know, when I was recovering, let's say from my um, ACL, so um, that there was two, three times a week I was there. Yeah. How long did it take you? To Very pricey. 
Um, yeah, no, I'm assuming, but uh, there's no price, right, to, your, no price. to a healthy body. Nope. If you want it, you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. How long did it take you to recover from your ACL injury, from the moment of injury until you felt 100 uh, percent to compete? Honestly, I think I I competed in July this past July, and I did my surgery back in uh, January 2021. Yes, so it's a year and a half since I com since I did the uh, the surgery. Then I competed. It wasn't after the competition until I got to ATT did I actually feel a hundred percent. I think there was also psychological. Um, uh, hurdle that I had to jump over after that competition of like, will that knee be as strong as I need it to be? Yeah. And it was only after did I actually kind of jump that hurdle. So is your, are you past that hurdle now? Yeah. You trust your knee? 100%. As, yeah. Just like you did before? Yes. Yeah. Phenomenal. Nutrition. Yeah. Do you have to, um, do you have the difficulty of um, maintaining certain weights based on your competition? Yeah. So in combat sports, there's categories. Um, talking pounds, I'll talk in kilo because it's easier for me. Whatever's easiest for you. <laughs> I think in the UK, they also do kilo, right? Uh, some people do. <laughs> um, no, yes. In the UK, they do. Um, we can also add in the description of the episode the uh, conversions. Yeah. Um, so I've been competing in the 60 kilo um, category for many years. You know, first it was 57, now 60. Um, body grows. And so uh, you have to maintain, especially when you're having a tournament. You have three, four fights in a week. You have to be as close to that weight as possible. You can't fluctuate too much because when you have to cut weight, there's a difference between um, losing weight and cutting weight, right? Losing weight is when you're kind of... Uh, overweight from a fat percentage and that you have to really diet and and train right and then losing weight uh, cutting weight sorry is more on a um, fluid right you're going to manipulate your carbohydrate intake and your sodium intake um, like you know within the week prior to fighting and you're going to kind of also avoid uh, fiber throughout that fighting time again so if i'm in the 60 kilo category I'm not going to weigh more than 62. Like 61 and a half, that was the range. Not more than 62 for sure because two kilo of water, that's that's more than enough. Uh, you know, more than 5% of your body is going to is gonna hurt your performance. So um, that's when you have a tournament. And now when you have one fight coming up and you have like 24 hours, because that's every day that you have to weigh in. But once you have one fight, and you can weigh in, you know, the day in before, so you can cut more water. You can cut more weight, so you can maybe put on a bit more muscle mass. There must be health implications to that. One hundred percent. When you're cutting weight, you know, you're usually in heat. You're either doing it in a sauna or in a hot bath or in a sauna suit, and and so that's why you also have to be careful, like that. Your the back of your head. Back of your neck is not covered because you don't want to get a heat stroke. Uh, you don't want many many athletes pass out. Many athletes. There are several cases where they died from doing this incorrectly, doing you know cutting too much weight. Again, if once you hit that ten percent mark, you're in tremendous uh, danger. Uh, so it's not as um, you know go cut weight. 
you know, there's science, science behind it. Science, science and requires um, incredible discipline from your part. From your part and making sure also that someone's watching over you. Every time I would do it, you know, Ben is there, uh, you know, keeping an eye out. And guiding you as and well guiding through the as process. Well. Um, and checking you out, also watching, you know, watching how you respond, well, how you look like, you know, are you about to pass out? What's going on? Yeah. Um, uh, also, so also liver issues, you know, it could really hurt your liver, cutting a lot of weight time after time, you know, yeah. year after year. So how do you make sure that you are actually sustaining your health while going through, putting your body through this trauma? So like I said, I what every, throughout my years, I was doing cutting weight, like a kilo and a half, you know, like very, I, I was very uh, on top of my nutrition as well. Um, I think I was maybe like under eating sometimes, when I was like cutting weight, we're all, we're, us as um, uh, professional athletes, uh, combat athletes and fighters, we're always cautious about that. Um, we're always scared that are we going to make weight or not make weight. So um, I think I was over the years sometimes even under eating, not eating correctly because I, as much as uh, knowledge as I have, maybe it wasn't enough. Um, but as years went on, I understand, understood more and how to do it better. Do you face, um, do you even have the, um, for example, you, I asked you what you wanted me to bring uh, to the <laughs> studio today to, to snack on, to drink, and you asked for a green tea bag uh, with hot water. Um, so you wanted tea, no sugar, no honey. Um, that is not normal in our day-to-day -day life uh, because, you know, most of us, you know, you see ice cream in front of you, you gobble it down. You see chocolate in front of you. You want to eat it as soon as possible. Um, you have a snack in your fridge. You will probably eat that snack that day. Um, so for a lot of people, it's very, or most people, I, I would assume, it's very difficult to uh, have that discipline. Do you even, um, is that even a challenge for you anymore? So I'm 27 years old. Um, back when I was almost 15 until 15 years old I ate like I said ate everything like I didn't think twice right once I kind of got to this point where I want to be an athlete I want to be a professional athlete what does it require me okay it requires me to train like this 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 eating like this 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 right so I started cutting out all the sugars all the processed foods um, bringing into the house changing everything in the house in the I fridge. remember offering you the first time I met you I offered you a tic-tac in my car and, uh, you, and that. you declined my <laughs> offer and I've stopped eating Tic Tac since. So I think You're you said, me. I think you said hidden sugars. Yes. Is that something you say? Yeah. Hidden sugars. Um, so I, I, I remember that. Okay. So you stopped, you stopped, you stopped. And I just got to say that now you're looking so much <laughs> healthier. You're, you're yeah. looking healthier. You're looking uh, shinier, uh, you know? <laughs> uh, so uh, stop eating Tic Tacs people. <laughs> Uh, but you, you started cutting out. Once you started being away, you started cutting out those uh, sugars, maybe processed foods as well. Right. Um, I think like 15 years ago, it was mostly the processed food, not um, uh, all the uh, healthy snacks. Because today, oh my gosh, you know, on all these healthy snacks as for fitness and uh, sugar-free or low sugar or whatever, it's bullshit, right? When it says sugar-free and it, it if it's chocolate or if it's um some sort of supposedly be uh, a healthy snack that's like an alternative to something that is packed with sugar 
it's a hidden sugar that you're not aware of. They use a different word. They use different, they manipulate the, uh, the contents, the ingredients in it. So it's not sugar free. Like, just be aware of it. It's okay. It's okay if you have a thing of ice cream, right? But just be aware that you are having the ice cream now. And so it's packed with sugar. So not to fool yourself if Don't you're fool yourself. Else. Yeah. Because you might be consuming the same amounts of unhealthy ingredients. Correct. As well. Uh, but for you, so my question, I'm, I'm really interested um, for myself because I think that I eat healthier than uh, the average person, let's say, in the Western world. Uh, but if you put a Ben and Jerry's tub in front of my eyes here, I'd be looking at it and I'd really want to eat it. Um, I think that I'd be okay and have the discipline to not eat it at this moment. But, but later? <laughs> no, even, you know, I could see myself um, even letting it rot away. But I know that internally a percentage of me on some days it's 1%, on some days it's 99%. And usually somewhere in between wants to eat that thing as soon as possible. So my question to you, because you're so disciplined and so important to your sport, if I put a Ben and Jerry's tub in front of your eyes, is do you even have that 1% that wants to destroy that thing? I think I would do as well. You know, okay, I would say, you know, oh, hey, I don't have a, a competition coming up or something like that, so I don't have to be so, you know, when I have a fight coming up, I'm like, there's no way, right? Because I'm like super cautious. But like, maybe, maybe I would take a, a, a spoon or two, like, you know what, okay. I'm feeling that sugar rush. It's enough for me. But if you put a tub of Ben and Jerry's compared to um, pineapple or blueberries, oh, I'm going to go for the, the blueberries, you know? Yeah. Not, not the Tic Tacs. No, no. Uh, how many fights do you have a year, on an average year, an ideal year? How many times would you fight? Um, so in Muay Thai, it was like, I could have uh, two or three competitions. You, we fight like 10, 10 fights, right? We call it amateur because we have like protection on our, our shins and our elbows and headgear. But a fight is a fight. It's like the highest level. Um, all the fighters um, in Muay Thai, you know, you have Superbon, if you know him. Uh, you have Senchai, all these uh, fighters that went through that process also in, of amateur fights. But it's it's high... Um, uh, level of fights. The only reason we call it amateur and that we have protect protectors on ourselves is because we have day after day you fight. If you don't have protectors, you're not going to be able to fight the next day. You're going to be all bruised and like everything's going to be popping out. So um, that's the only reason. And but in, it's in, high. And in MMA, would the numbers be similar? Uh, no, it would probably be less. Uh, also depends also how um, uh, what what's the injury uh, that I'm facing at that moment, if at all. Um, but you know, if I could fight multiple times with no injury, then I'll do that. Do you speak to young athletes, young boys, young girls? Uh, where does that come into your life? Do you teach at all? So I am, um, an ambassador for Athena, Athena. It's a nonprofit organization here in Israel that they basically promote uh, female girls, young girls, uh, teenagers in sport, right? And it's educating them and it's uh, giving them tools and it's opening different doors for them to play sports, to compete. Um, so I go to different schools, go to different groups to speak to these girls, not necessarily girls, but any class, whether mixed boys and girls, through this organization. 
I could get paid from them. Um, I get different benefits and exposing myself, telling my story. And who knows, uh, you know, if I can touch one girl, one boy, that it'll inspire them, that it'll give them that push and that drive to really go after what they want. doesn't have to be sports, but it's just like showing them that me as a young girl from a small uh, town, yeah. town in Beit Shemesh in, in Israel, from a religious home that's unconventional, that I got to where I am and the heights that I've gotten to, they can do it too. There aren't that many world champions in the world at anything, even if we combined all sports or all categories of competition, there aren't that many of you. Um, so I, I'm sure you inspire at least one person probably every time you uh, engage with people. Fighting, is that something you would recommend to a young person, a path that they should pursue? Um, if you had, on a personal level, a younger sibling, a daughter, a son, would you allow them to go through everything you have been through and are going through? It's a tough sport. When I started in this, um, in this field, in, in martial arts, did I think that I was going to be a champion in this sport? No. Did I want to necessarily? No, not really. Just kind of just happened. Uh, my, my dream was to be an athlete, an all-around athlete. That's why I played basketball and I played f flag football. I was on the national team and I flew with them um, to different competitions. Uh, Little League baseball. I cycled, road, so road cycling competitively, and I did martial arts. So you pretty much tried uh, I tried and everything. Everything and challenged your body and everything. Just way. because I liked it. Yeah. You know, give me a ball, go shoot. Like, that's what I liked. And I th it, there weren't many opportunities back in the day for like, you know, today where you, you have like all of uh, the social media to see all these champions arise and to see where it could actually take you. Um, there wasn't there. So it was kind of jumping into this uh, unknown place and and I had to really um when I promised myself that I'm going to be successful no one no one else promised me that I'm going to be successful right I had to promise myself and it's not just saying you know by the words but it's the actions it's the doings and so day by day every the decision a well. commitment every decision that I made was towards that commitment was towards that goal was towards that promise that I made to myself was it difficult making that uh, sacrifice, that commitment, um, and that promise to yourself in a world where I'm assuming in the middle school you went to, the high school you went to, you're, I'm assuming you were the only uh, Muay Thai fighter, kickboxer, or maybe there was a couple, but I'm sure you were an uh, extreme minority. So actually in high school I had a friend, uh, she was a basketball player. Right now she's a basketball player. She's playing, um, I think, in Hoda Sharon or in Kfal Saba. Um, and we kind of both, I was doing my thing. We were I was also playing basketball at the same time she was. But then as um, time went on, I kind of made my, um, my choice more towards martial arts. Um, and we both kind of like were the athletes in, the, in class or in the school. Um, me for my personality and my build was a bit more like on the aggressive side looking, 
Um, in, in Hebrew, you say Abu Gevel. It's like, um, uh, like a tomboy, but like I was always being mocked. I was always being uh, laughed at if, it, if it's playing with the boys and if it's dressing in a certain way. But, you know, I would always brush it off because I knew who I was, what I wanted to do, where I was going. So it, it didn't really um, fathom me. Did it? Yes, I know you're saying it didn't fathom you. Uh, but did you receive it and did it fuel you in any way? Fill or fuel? Fuel. 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 Yeah. Yes. In a way, many of my teachers would, um, they weren't so happy with what I was doing. Or also in the army when I was serving, um, they didn't really look at me as an athlete and where I was going more as like, you're a soldier and we need you to do X, Y, Z first. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm an athlete first. And so I always thought to myself, I'm going to prove you wrong. One day you guys are going to read about me in the newspaper, achieving what I'm going to be achieving. And you're going to look back and you'll be like, we missed that opportunity to really get to know this person as an athlete and what she's capable of doing. Do you think about those people sometimes? All the time. All the time. Yeah. Thinking so about how, like you said, it fueled me. It just gave me this extra push I have an inner motivation to become what I'm what I'm becoming and what I'm doing um, but it's just that extra little push of like oh you you say I can't do it oh that's what you think okay now I'm gonna have to prove you wrong not only prove to myself but prove to you as well so you reached incredible heights uh, what are you promising yourself now I have different different goals and um, Again, yeah, you don't have to uh, state anything. Yeah, yet, yeah. But uh, whatever you're uh, comfortable sharing. In terms By the way, of I didn't really answer that, the, the question before of like if I would uh, recommend. Mm, please, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm rushing you. I'm sorry. No, I kind of like also um, take it to a different yeah. place. Um, and I would expose that, that family member if it was a son or daughter or um, a younger brother. I think it's fair enough to expose them to the opportunity or to the option, you know, and you choose. Um, and it could be they want to be a lawyer. It could be they want to be a musician. I don't care. Give them the tools that they can achieve it. Could you, though, sorry that I'm interjecting, but if they're exposed to what it is to expect and they still choose to go through that, would you be able, because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you went through a lot of highs and lows um, in your career so far, um, and a lot of pain. Could you look at your loved one experiencing the same pain that you've experienced? It, it, it'll be hard to, to give that, that freedom to them because you know what they're going to be going through, right? And, and it, it'll be hard. I'm sure it'll be hard, but it's another, um, another challenge to overcome. I just look at it as a, look at it as a challenge to learn something about myself that I'm able to, um, I guess, be vulnerable in. It'll be a challenge. It'll be a challenge. Girl on fire. <laughs> when did that start? Ooh. So, um, it's uh, I guess one of Benny's exes that. Uh, Benny is my, my coach, um, and for the same reason that he's 
banned from the organization is because <laughs> that same ex works for the organization and, and she was able to manipulate people to kick him out. So it goes back a, a while back. And um, she was watching a fight and she was like videotaping it and she's kind of just like singing in the background, this girl is on fire. Alicia Keys. Yeah. And so that's where just like, ah, oh, that's it. That's the song that I'm going to be walking out to. And like, that's the name I'm going to be taking just because like this, um, this schwung that I had, that's an English word, a schwung. I don't know, but what is it? Uh, momentum? Momentum, maybe? yeah. It was like this momentum that I was that I was on from from competition to competition, fight to fight. You know, world after sorry, year after year of um, of becoming a world champion and European champion. So I think it was very appropriate taking that that name as "Girl on Fire." So is that the song that you walk out to now? Yes, fight? I walked out to it one, two. Three times already. <laughs> and gonna, is that something that's going to stay with you? It's going to stick, yeah. Okay. Yeah? 100%. Cool, yeah. I like it. Um, and back to my uh, question now. Before the first question that I interjected was, uh, where is it you're going now with MMA? What is the goal with MMA? Well, at least short term. I'm not asking you to make any crazy statements. Right. So I was supposed to fight mid-November um, for ICON. Uh, it's uh, Jorge Masvidal's uh, promotion, uh, and you know he trains at ATT, so he's a, a teammate. I know him. Uh, but the event was uh, supposed to be MMA, then they changed to, like a boxing event, and I was like, no, I'm not interested in a boxing fight. I want MMA. So they said maybe um, this, the beginning of December they have a, another one in Orlando, um, but that seemed that you know I'm here right now. I'm not training for it, so I'm gonna have to wait with that. Hopefully. Uh, February and uh, that'll be the next the next date for a con uh, fight yeah so February is the uh, is the goal is the target yes Let, get get um, uh, um, a doctor's approval you know get cleared medically get back into things and yeah are these organizations very strict about making sure that you are fit and healthy enough to fight and to compete I think at this level you know when it's um, not for a big um, promotion like the UFC or Bellator yeah. or PFL, they won't necessarily go and check. You know, maybe they, they'll, they'll ask for um, some sort of uh, physical exam. Maybe, maybe, I'm not sure. Yeah. But not to the level of like, I know what's internally going on. So they don't, I don't think they really check that out. And you're thinking that you'll get the clearance next week to I start training? I, I hope so. I hope the, so. Is that the goal? And if yes, are you back in uh, ATT? Uh, I think I'm going to be here a little bit. Uh, I would make my way back to ATT maybe mid-December or January. That'll give me, you know, a few weeks to get back in things there. And that's when uh, that's when I would head back. Do you ever think about uh, life after competing, fighting? or All the time, you know. And also now when... Every time some injury arises, you keep, it takes a small piece of you, right? You're part of your identity. As an athlete, it, that's who I am. And if I can't uh, um, train and compete, then who am I? And yeah, I studied psychology as well. And when I was studying and I, when I was in school, that kind of took me away sometimes from the time where I was injured and it gave me that, that, um, it filled my hours 
And you have to find different things to keep you occupied and things that interest you. Um, you know, and it could be also pr um, uh, relationships. And if I'm looking for something a bit more as well and something that I, I kept kind of pushing away throughout the years because I didn't know I don't have time for that or, you know, it's just going to uh, um, keep me distracted or, you know, and if it's something that I want, I have to dedicate myself and I have to commit to it and I have to make those small uh, choices on a daily basis that will bring me a little closer to you that. Do you allow yourself to have those thoughts, to go through those um, um, rabbit holes of or the what-ifs? Oh, the rabbit holes. What-ifs. Of, of the what-ifs, of the post-fighting, of um, not potentially not getting a doctor's clearance to practice, which maybe will extend your time away from the mat. When this happened, I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, what if I fought? October 14th, this wouldn't have happened. You know, they wanted me to fight October 14th, and then I was like, I'm not ready yet. You know, I just got, I'm not ready yet. And I keep thinking to myself, what if, what if I did? Then I want to be in this, in this situation. We could keep thinking about what if, what if. It'll just make things, I think, a bit worse in our heads, and it'll bring, bring, bring me down. It'll just keep bring, bringing me down, and so I just have to not think about that sometimes. <laughs> Do you think coaching, uh, teaching is in your future? Um, maybe. Could be. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I have many opportunities and different um, things that arise all the time. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but, you know, someone wants me to work for the organization as well. And... Um, I don't know how much it's going to require me, uh, you know, from uh, take me away from my training or my focus as well. But if it's a nice income and then there's not much I, I need to do, maybe, you know, so I don't know. I don't know. I have to, I have to like, kind of, I'm like on this waiting uh, phase of just like, I'm just, I need to see what's going on and where it's going to take me. So you're on a journey with MMA. I'm on a journey. It's a lifestyle beyond the journey because it always opens different opportunities. When I was in the States now, I met um, with the JCC in, in Miami. It's like the Jewish um, community there. Par they call themselves the Israeli parliament. It's just Israelis that kind of get together on a date uh, every week. And they have different people that come and speak to them and to expand their, um, their get together or their knowledge about different things and they had me come and speak to them and I guess just to you know forget them to get to know me and if I'm competing also in the states and it's a good uh, community to have my back um, and that opened different opportunities as well they wanted me to come and and work with their kids um, you know in the martial arts school that they have for the Jewish community it's like that's wonderful it's just that that's in Miami and I'm in Boca <laughs> but yeah. um, but again so many opportunities and sometimes you just got to say oh, yes and go with something because it'll open another door and another door and another door. You just don't know where and when. Uh, yeah, but you're, so you open the door of MMA. You, you chose to enter the door of MMA. Um, does that mean though that Muay Thai kickboxing is in your past? No, no. It's part of who I am. It's part of why I'm here. Um, 
and I'm still part of the Muay Thai Federation. If I have a fight or a competition coming up in Muay Thai, and why not take it? If I have no uh, contract that that says that I can't compete in something else, there's no reason why not to compete. So it's still going to be part of your future as, yes, a, as a fighter? 100%. What would you... Sending a message to athletes. Doesn't have to be young athletes. Doesn't have to be better athletes than you or worse athletes than you or athletes at the same level as you. Um, but what is your, like what is something that you learned that you would like to pass on in order to being able to sustain and manage the disappointments that come on any given journey. So any journey that anyone faces, in your case, it's being a fighter, uh, which I'm assuming comes together with a lot of other things. You went from your school experiences, your friends, your teachers, your coaches, the federation, the different uh, types of competitions, injuries. You face a lot of lows. Lows come to world champions and they come to uh, athletes who uh, never make it and never win a fight. How can one deal with the lows? One advice, not necessarily dealing with the lows. Everyone has different ways of dealing with it. You know, others are, they have a partner, so they have who to just be with. Others, uh, you know, with their family or they just kind of, you know, with themselves. I think it's mostly the people around them. Uh, other people also get into their own heads and like you said always thinking about the what ifs what ifs what ifs and that's like that's the worst way to to deal with it sometimes so it's just kind of like asking them to change their mindset um it's what understand it? i think for for me yeah what does nilly tell herself it's not something that i i came to a conclusion from this one was as much as I feel like I'm doing it on my own and at the end of the day I'm in the ring or the cage alone you're facing the opponent don't be afraid to ask for help right we always kind of feel like at least that's that's me I've always ever since I'm a young girl always tried to do it on my own and Leave me alone. Like I'll, I'll do it better if I just do it myself. Um, and it's not asking for my parents for money, or if it's not, um, you know, like I just felt like I, I fell in between the cracks um, the past little bit just because I didn't reach out to certain people or different people that had the connections or that had the knowledge to just give me a small boost in understanding something. Or in, or in getting somewhere, just because that's how I th that's how I am sometimes. Just very too. Um, what's the word? Uh, stubborn. Stubborn. Maybe? Yeah. And I always say I always say that throughout my entire life. I've always been saying that I'm stubborn for the good and for bad. But it's really understanding and coming to the the conclusion that don't be afraid to ask for help or to talk. Not to ask for help, but to share. And when you share with people, right? When you ask someone, hey, what's up? Oh, it's all good. Okay, bye. Right? What's up? That's all good. How's it going? You kind of like go back and forth all the time. 
But when you stop for a second and when that person asks you, what's up? And you think about what's going on, what's going on in my life, what's going on, find a small little story. Oh, you know, yesterday I went to whatever, I did this and this and this. And then the, that kind of opens the conversation. And then you tell them how, you know, maybe you're feeling something or something happened. Like, oh, you know, I have a friend that might help you. It just kind of opens different options. Um, and like sometimes I'm very aware of that and I do it. And sometimes I don't because I'm just too stubborn. Um, and so I think that's something that I would pass on to whether you're an athlete or not an athlete, but it's something very helpful that can save a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of things along the way. Nili, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you very much. Honored to have you. Um, and we look forward to, uh, following your success. All right. Thank you. Thank you.